mornings a week, we meet before breakfast for an early morning run. We spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms. This has become our favorite professional development. So we figured, why not share these moments with you? Welcome to Math Before Breakfast. This is episode 56. I'm Tracy Prophet. I'm Ruth Urquiaga. And I'm Jay Prophet. And today we are going to talk about three reads, which is a routine for that you use with word problems. We're going to talk about the fluency assessment I'm giving this week and I have some questions for you. And then we're going to share some ways to review, right? Check. Because Ruth is coming up on her exams this week, or exam. And then we have some talking about... If we get to it, we'll talk about the how the task went that we talked about last week with the race to 100 and Cuisinier rods. Remember that? Oh, perfect. Those were your tasks because I was thinking, yeah. what tasks did I do? <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's our plan. That's, we, we have a lot that we bit off, so we'll see if we actually get to all of it, you know, how it goes. So um, I got an email in the middle of the week last week from one of the principals that said, wait, Jade, is there anything you wanted to add now? To our list no, before good. we run. Okay. Um, didn't want to leave you out there over there. Well, thanks. Um, so I got an email that um, was asking me to work with the special ed teachers on word problems. And um, I was sort of excited because my principal, our assistant principal, knew that the cubes strategy, like I think some kind of like red flags were going off in her head with the cube strategy, which was which is what she was seeing, but she wasn't quite sure like what to say instead, or I don't even think she really knew like why to say that that wasn't the right Rain. thing to do, but she probably heard me ranting about it at some point <laughs> really? behind, behind closed doors. And so she was like, I think she's used the word something like, um, that's not the most up-to-date strategy or something like current strategy or whatever. And so she asked me to meet with their whole team. So, Clearly, I wanted to talk about numberless word problems because um, it's one of those things that I've shared just in time with people, you know, um, when they are like, I can't get my kids to do word problems. Like, let me show you this that you might work. That? Um, Robert Kaplinsky, the just, just, in, just time. in time. Yeah, okay. that was Robert I knew it was Kaplinsky. recent. Yeah, said okay. it, but it was from um, Julie Dixon. Uh, yeah. So um, where was I? Yeah. Uh, I decided that I would do talk about numberless word problems. However, I have to say that this tweet from um, October was stuck in the back of my head. Um, Rachel, at which is someone that I follow on Twitter, said, "When people are when I see people asking for tips on reteaching solving word problems, like it's a discrete skill of its own, I have some questions and some concerns." Which, you know, like that she's got a point that you don't want to wait and teach word problems, like get to the end and that's when you teach word problems for like a day and then you move on to the next thing, you know? Correct. should be embedded and really I think your whole, anytime you learn a new skill, I think that's really where it should start is what I've learned that you start with the context. So anyway, um, Kit answered three reads, three reads, three reads is my response. So I sort of piped in there and was like, okay, well. Was that so emphasis? Yes, that was for emphasis, but also sort of. Because there's three of them? Yeah, ironic. And you read it twice? I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Um, So I I sort of admitted on this thread that I have been hearing about three reads, but I didn't know anything about it. And I asked, where could I read about it? So they shared about this book called Routines for Reasoning, and it's by, I'm going to butcher the names, I'm sorry, Kelamanic, Lucenta, and Creighton are the author's last names, and it's a Heinemann book, and um, they shared that's where you could read about it. They also shared a website that I will um, link on the show notes, 
But Kit said, when I first bought this book, my student teacher at the time literally bought it off me and replaced it because after I showed him the first chapter, he immediately wanted it. And Rachel said that this was for sure one of her top favorite math reads. Really? Yeah. So, of course... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm just, I'm just listening. I'm, so, build, I'm building a case. Okay. So, of course, it went to the top of my Amazon wish list. Right. And this past weekend was Woo-hoo! graduation. Um, I've been done for, you know, a couple months now, but our we had a winter graduation. So, Jay's mom and dad get, bought the top three books off of my Amazon wish list, and this was one of them. So, I got to read about three reads last night. Do you want to interject? You let me know when you no, want to I'm interject. Just listening. Okay, great. So, I'm going to practice. I, I know the numberless word problems. I've used it a lot, but I'm going to practice telling you guys about the three reads, and then you tell me what questions you have. Okay. Um, this is really just a practice, okay? <laughs> As she picks up the book to read it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Is this how you do this in a classroom? Yes. For the three reads. With the script in my hand. All right. Well, now I'm going to try to do it with, no, I don't know. I'm going to have to refer to it a little bit. So the idea being that the kid needs to, it's, the kid needs to understand the context before they can have sustained um like work on the on the word problem and one of the what they talked about one of the problems being one of the problems with a word problem is that if you attack it and then you don't have another route to go that you'll just quit but if they really mm. understand the context you might have several directions from which you could attack it and then that's going to go better for you so you teach them, you, you explain, the, explain the routine that you're going to use, or it's kind of like a protocol, I guess, first, and you, um, then you read it three times, literally. The first time you read it, they are reading to understand just the context. And so you would ask, what's happening here, I think is the right word, um, or the right question. Let me go what back. is happening here? Um. What's or sorry, what's the problem about? So you you would read it and they talked a lot about having um, English language learners in their class and and specific things they were doing for that. So you would get I, th- I think the idea being that you would get someone who is fluent to read it to help out the ones that are not fluent, oh, like okay. get a fluent reader to read it. And then this whole repeating of the language multiple times in multiple ways is really helpful to your English language learners. So what's the problem about? And they, um, the, in the chapter, they gave an example, like a kind of like a case study where they were walking through it. And they asked the students to, to share what it was about. And the teacher made a T-chart and it, they called it like context on one side and math, context on one side and math on the other. So if it was things that were words or phrases that were just about the context, like in this case, prints, trolls, apples, it was sort of a long convoluted problem. You'd put that on one side and then the math stuff of what is it about goes on the other side. So you have this, you've like sorted the information or the keywords. Is there more than just numbers on the math side? Um, right now there's no numbers. Um, the, so let me well, read what you goes the, on the math side. Let me read you the, so the math side says taking half, finding mm. out how many apples the prince picked, subtraction, writing an equation or working backward. Okay. I got you. So that, you know, what the words is, that make you figure out what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's a troll or a prince or an astronaut. Yeah. And I just said keywords, which I know is kind of like a curse word. Um, Yeah, I was wondering. I I meant like important words in the Mm -hmm. story by by, by saying keywords. Like, yeah. Okay. So then the second time you read it, and the part I'm getting a little confused about is they were very specific in the book about like where you're doing individual and where you're doing think, pair, share, and where you're doing whole group and all that. I don't quite have that worked out yet. Um, But the second read is... Interpreting the question. Yes. Where are you finding this? On that website? And (laughs) interpreting the question. Okay. So the question, you ask them to read it a second time, and you have some individual think time about what am I trying to figure out? It's just an opportunity for students to identify what the goal of the problem is. And then you do a pair 
and then share. So this is where you do the think pair share about what is the what are you trying to find out. And so you're restating the question over and over. And what was interesting in this story mm-hmm. that they were it's about trolls and apples. They actually kind of stated it two different ways, which I think was important to helping some kids understand how you might attack it. Like so you got to read the problem so okay. I can follow this. All right. Yeah, cuz I have already f- cuz I don't know what Trolls and... It's long. Here we go. This is on page 128 of this book. A prince picked a basket full of golden apples in the enchanted orchard. On his way home... Shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) On his way home, the prince came to a troll who guarded the orchard. The troll stopped him and demanded payment of one half of the apples plus two more. So the prince gave him the apples and set off again. A little further on, he encountered a I'm second. I'm sorry. I wasn't listening well enough. Do we know how many apples the dude started with? No, that's probably the question. Okay. Sorry. The tro- um, I just don't want to miss anything. Yeah. We have to read it three times for <laughs> sure. The troll stopped him and demanded payment of one half of the apples plus two more. So the prince gave him the apples and set off again. A little further on, he encountered a second troll. The second troll demanded payment of one half of the apples and the prince na- now had now had wait start over the second troll demanded the payment of one half of the apples the prince now had plus two more the prince paid him and set off once more just before leaving the enchanted orchard a third troll stopped him and demanded one half of his remaining apples plus two more the prince paid him and sadly went home he had only two golden apples left how many apples had he picked i don't know but the dude needs to get rid of the trolls in his garden i know i know okay so, so now I'm understanding math words, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit more to the question. If you're going to interpret the question, it's not just how many apples did he start with, mm-hmm. right? Well, because the- wouldn't you want the kids to understand that he gave them away? Go ahead. You finish. Yeah. And I'll- well, just the, the two ways that they phrased the question were how many apples had he picked because that's the way the question is written in the story but it's also how many apples did he start with it's the same question but i think if you don't really understand the context that would be tricky for you to see and the whole how many did he start with kind of leads you towards that working backwards idea that you'd start with your end amount so there's not a you're not going to guide your students into saying in this particular read, when it says interpret the question, that's really all they want. Not he gave away half plus two, and then he gave away half plus two. Mm-hmm. At this at this step, you're just figuring out what the question is. What are you trying to you're trying to restate the question? Yeah. Okay. So the first one was the context of the story, what's happening. The second one is the what's the question? Can I go to the next one? Are you talking mm-hmm. about the first, the second reads? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the last read, when you read it again, is identifying important information. So I shouldn't have interrupted you. I should have just listened to the first read yep. and picked that up on the second yep. read. Which, is, which I think is important why the whole first part of this routine says to make sure they understand the routine. So they need to know ahead of time, this is what we're looking for the first time. This is what we're looking for the second time. That's Don't like surprise them with that. Yeah, okay. or else they'll interrupt you. Exactly. And then throw, totally throw you off. Um, so then in the last read, you are having them with a partner identify important information. Um, and it, the whole book, which I wish I had had time to read the rest of it, but, um, it said it would make you lean toward one of three avenues of thinking, which I think is explained in the beginning part of this book. What are important quantities and relationships in this problem? How is this situation behaving? Is there a process that keeps repeating that I can generalize? So those are things that you that they might move towards noticing, like the quantities, which is interesting when it's not just numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's an interesting choice of word. Well, and it's also, I mean, when you think about word problems, students very often just scan the problem without reading it. And Mm -hmm. look for the numerals. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if the number is written in word form, it's missed. Like a dozen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's one thing you might look for are quantities. Another thing, this 
that you might look for is what's repeating. And that that repeating process might lead you to a solution path, like a, a, a process mm-hmm. that you're going to use. Um, and then at that point, after you've discussed, you're going to have a full, you're going to work in pairs and then have a full group share. And then you're going to, at each one of those steps, it shows the teacher annotating or writing down what they're talking about. And then from there, the next step is to solve it. Hmm. So it feels, the process, I have to say, feels a little less concrete somehow than the numberless word problems because all the information is there and you re- and your kids really have to be sort of trained to focus in on one thing. And, and in the a numberless- students who can read that problem and inter- – like I'm just thinking about Brennan in my class. He would totally just go to be solving it and yeah. not even follow along with that routine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, that's where he would go first. Right. I think it's great. Like, I would like to try it. I would like to see what happens because Mm -hmm. I've, you know, guided my high-level thinkers or the ones who feel like they are able to do it. I almost feel like that would be better written if it was numberless and you read it the first time and you get, you know, even if Mm -hmm. you just said he asked him for some plus two. Yeah. And then if I go and tell you what that sum, I mean, but that isn't that what teaching is? Like you, you feel, you hear this and you read about this and you try it and then you figure out what works in your classroom. Yeah. I, before I got the book, I watched a couple of videos of people doing it over my lunch the other day. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I saw a teacher, well, let me step back and say first that people had different things things that they were looking for on each read they weren't always the same um in the different way that teachers taught it but I'm going to try it this way first but um one of the teachers was said what are the quantities or numbers or whatever but she also made them ask say the units she was really particular about putting she made a t-chart and the numbers on one side and the units on the other which so and by units we mean like apples or trolls or you know the thing that we're measuring the thing that the number goes with word um which made me think about how in in general if you're and i'm not sure i would teach i don't know about i would teach students this in general if you have a kind of unit that can it's the same or that can be combined then it may be an addition or subtraction problem and if you have two different units, then it might be a multiplication or division problem. Is that is you think that's is so, that too simplifi- simplifying it too much? I don't think so. I think I think you just set them up to to realize that. Like I don't think oh. there you would tell them, but okay. I think if you focused on the units, you, they would see that. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to like measurements. So. I just had a word problem on my last test that was about a baker and he was using flour and he used some flour for cookies and some flours for bread and then he used some sugar for his cake and then he used some flour for his cake. And I can't tell you how many kids put the sugar number in there because the question was how much flour was used. Oh, that would have... But if they had labeled it, it would have really, you know... Made them stand out. And I think just the use of a T-chart like that to keep that stuff organized is uh-huh. is a good strategy. Yeah. All right. Well, today I probably don't have a lot of time to share these ideas with the teachers. So I'm definitely going to start with numberless word problems because that's the one I'm more familiar with. And I have have a lot of teachers that have, especially in the fourth grade team, that are like completely behind this idea and they're... So this may not be fair because I just heard about this and I'm just now looking, but it feels like a lot of these teachers are in high school on this. So I'm on this fosteringmathpractices.com page and reading yeah, about. That's the one that right? was suggested. And a lot of them are high school teachers, which not that that was a high school problem, but high school 
word problems feel like there's a lot more to interpret. Mm -hmm. If there's some apples on the tree and some apples on the ground. I was I was thinking that, too, that this is a problem that's more complicated than what I think my teacher is probably trying to help her students work on right mm -hmm. now. So maybe I should just stick to the to one. I mean, today. Can, yeah, in my I would say you stick with one today and you, I I still would choose numberless word problems simply because there's so much. I don't know what the word I'm looking for. So much good when a student can make up a question like there's mm -hmm. apples on the tree and apples on the ground. What kind of question could you answer? Yeah. You know, when that yeah. question like is that gone. Part. So. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I could even, um, I don't know. I could do one and then just tell them we could come back to it yeah. if they're interested in another one. Okay. Thank you for hearing me out there. Let me know if you try it. So the second thing is that we've been working on the fluency um, multi with multiplication in fifth grade, right. working with the teacher after we did the running records. And this week, we are going to do their mid-year assessment and basically go back and do the same. It's the same assessment, okay. but to see if they've grown any. And one of the things I'm sort of worried about is being consistent in my giving of the assessment. Oh, like, you even know, how long your five seconds is. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, I don't want to get to the point where I'm looking for something and then I don't know. I just want to be consistent. In, so in tell me about it. your second assessment. Is it um, on the same paper? I'm going to, I don't think so. I think it would be too hard in a lot of cases because I wrote a lot of notes on the first one. So I think mm -hmm. I'm going to get – I'm going to print all new pages for them. And I'm going to say the same – like same speech at the beginning, although I'm going to say like I'm, I'm going to compare this to where you were at the beginning. I think I would say that. Um, and then go through and start – like tell them to start at the top and say the the product on each one of those. And, and still if they – get to one of those points where they're like literally counting every single one or or skip counting I'm probably still going to stop right mm -hmm. I would yeah okay. I would still stop and I would not look at their first test until your second one's done okay because I feel like I mean you probably know yeah right oh I remember you didn't know your zeros and ones and you're going to want them to show have shown mm -hmm. progress. And so, yeah, I yeah. would just say you shouldn't look. And so then I guess my real struggle is when you get to the second page and you're asking them further questions about the ones that they had some sort of strategy about, um, am I going to count them as fluent? So I, I kind of simplified my my way I said it before just so we could get a number just so we could write a smart goal you know and and make right. it kind of easy to quantify um so before I they had they ended up with like a zero if they if their only strategy was skip counting and they ended up with a 0.5 if there was some use of a strategy there like maybe they could tell you I could double but they weren't quick at it and then a one if they um could do it like if they knew to double kind of thing um so what if they're i guess i'm do i still use that like if they've used if they've learned the double but they're slow that's still improvement yeah i mean i guess within five seconds and if they got it within five seconds and they're doubling would i count that as a one it's fluent on their growth chart so I think this being the first time that you've done it, you you take notes of that and you write that down and understand that that's what you're looking for the next time as well. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you're talking about being consistent, but you've never done it before. So this is the consistent. So I feel like that is a good strategy. You know, like that's a good place to be if you can do that in less than five seconds and you can use the word double. 
Mm-hmm. Tracy, I can't tell you how many times in class I'm, you know, what did you do? I times it by two or I added it again. Well, what word do we use mm-hmm. that helps us do that? And they can't pull that word out. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm anticipating that they are going to know the names of some of the strategies and they're going to know how to do them, but the doing of them is still going to be very slow, but that's okay. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I guess we're calling a point five, right? Yeah. If, you know, for threes, if they're like, okay, I have to double it. Seven plus seven is 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you know, adding one more on that's still some more step than just, yeah, yes. counting by threes or or adding up by threes or something. Okay. If I like your idea of writing down what I'm seeing. Just so that, for yourself. Yeah. So that you're consistent, you know, without with throughout your children mm-hmm. that you're testing this time. And then so when you do it next time, you kind of have a mm-hmm. a reference. The other thing, this is a small thing, but the other thing is I'm trying to figure out how am I going to show graphically their growth. And you know that spreadsheet that I made, you mm-hmm. can picture it, mm-hmm. where it has, it just has each kid on the left and then the facts, the like the factors, I guess, going across the top in the order that the book presents them and mm-hmm. the assessment presents them. And then... Each kid got a zero, a 0.5, or a one, and they're color-coded red, yellow, and green within that. So it's just this huge table. How am I going to show on with that their second one? Am I going to put, like, kid test one and then right under it kid test two? Or Ooh. what if you, know you what I mean? put a column, a second column with the fact repeated so you can see that they went? I mean, I guess underneath would be fine because you can see that they went from red to yellow or they stayed at red to red. Um, I have this vision that you're going to get even more picky and there's going to be shades of red and shades (laughs) of green. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, I guess, maybe that's the kind of question I was asking. Like in there, in the test, the way that that Dr. Nikki created it, it was like a continuum. I think it's a zero through four. So four is the completely fluent and quick and like the two and the three are are or zero is no strategy and then I'm forgetting exactly what level you know one is like they have a strategy but they are slow at it I don't know exactly what the numbers but are I think you'll I think you'll feel that when you're giving it because you'll realize okay so they were a yellow but they're not quite a green mm-hmm they really are at a three, you know, maybe Maybe I really should use those numbers. Yeah. Like maybe when you didn't, when you did it the first time, there were just three groups, but now that they have some strategies, you're going to have some kids who are in a different group. Okay. Without, and you could just, you know, have some kind of orange where you're going from yellow to red and and quantifying it. I could use like 0.75, you know, right. To try to, because not that that's the whole end all be all, but the teachers really want to show mm-hmm. that they're making progress. And how else are you going to show other than look, progress, 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 like visualizing yeah. it. If if we use a, another number between 0.5 and, set, and 1, that might work. Okay. I think that's I'm going to try that. Okay. Um, Jay, you got anything? You, we've been quiet over there. You're looking for something. I can tell. Anything you want to share? I was just looking, you know. <clears throat> yes, I do. Are you ready now? <laughs> sure. Okay, go ahead. I was, I love large numbers. Yes. And so um, last week we talked about um, views on, on YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And, Which and I used that in my classroom. Yeah. I did. I went that day and found Carly, Carly Ray. Carly Ray Jepson. Okay. Um, and Uptown Funk, mm-hmm. and then, um, Shake It Off was the other one I gave that day. I didn't do Shake It Off. I did Smelly Belly TV. I don't even know what that is. Okay. Well, that is something that middle schoolers, some middle schoolers are into, which some middle schoolers did not know Carly Rae Jepsen. Well, um, some middle schoolers were like know. one when her first nah. song came out. Um, 
And then I did King and Country for King and Country, and they had one that had a lot of views. But it was such a great lesson because there's two different places you can look. When you're searching it, it abbreviates it. It rounds it. Yeah, and it uses a little M. Mm -hmm. So it says like 4.4 M. The really cool ones use Bs. Exactly. So we saw some with M's and some with B's. But then if you click on it underneath the video, the number is actually there. Yeah, it gives you the full And number. it was a great scientific notation lesson because I said, look, even people in the music world who don't do math every single day use math. Yeah. And they actually think like mathematicians because it's easier to interpret this number. So it was really cool. Tell, oh, cool. Well, tell them real fast oh. about your homework. It was good. That you oh, gave after that. So the homework that night, after I showed them, their homework was to think of a question that they could Google on the internet and find something greater than a million. So a lot of them were like Probably Googling their Google show. Grilled cheese sandwich and get greater than a million. <laughs> um, but I got some really cool things like kids who found the population of this country and this country. Oh. Someone else, um, he got his number wrong. But it was a good question. <laughs> um, he said, what did Amazon profit in the year 2018? And He probably found the gross. Yeah. And it was like $400 billion. And I'm just like, really? That seems really, really large. <laughs> um, but anyways, it was a great lesson because they were supposed to then write it in scientific notation. And it was the first time they'd ever seen it, right? They had learned it one day and went home and did it one problem for homework. Um, but I had them come in the next day and write their question all over my whiteboards and their answers in scientific notation. Cool. And we went through them one at a time. That's fun. So it was a good task. Well, today on uh, Large Numbers with Jay. Okay. Um, I follow. I like how this is a thing now. This it is. is good. It is. It's a new thing. Um, the Voyager spacecraft, the Voyager um yeah, spacecraft on Twitter. Okay. Now I know that it's not actually that thing tweeting to me, right. but NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory, Laboratory ha- maintains uh, Twitter accounts for Voyager One and Voyager Two. Okay. And they send back regular updates with how far they have traveled. Oh. And so I got the last one from Voyager Two was um, a couple hours, or well, maybe about twelve hours ago. And so I was like trying to do the math to figure it out, and I was like. I wish there was just, you know, they'd be great if they had a website that just like updated regularly how far they are, how far they travel. Well, guess what? They do. Okay, great. <laughs> and um, so I was looking at the, at the details and it's just, again, right now, Voyager 1, which was launched in September of 1977. So this thing's been flying away from us for 42 years. Okay. Has traveled 13 billion miles. Wow. Okay. So it is, I could read all the numbers, but it, you know, that's the big one. 13.8 billion miles away from the earth. Um, which if you were tr- talking about light, like how far, how far it takes light or how long it takes light to travel, it takes light 20 hours to travel from Voyager one back to the earth. So they are 20 light hours away from earth. And so it's one of those things, you you know, you hear about some stars are this many light years away or this many whatever away. Um, and I should have looked up, you know, some of the closer stars, how many light years they are. But, you know, this thing's been flying for 42 years and hasn't even got a light day away from us yet. Hmm. So, you know, traveling to places that are a light year away, you know, is, you know, just it's ridiculous to think how long it would travel take to travel to, you know, Something that far away. Yeah. I can't You've even, got a perplexed look on your face. I just can't even like fathom the fact that it's still working, first of all. Yeah. And that they, and that the signal doesn't just like get lost somewhere in between here and there. You know, that the signal keeps coming back. I don't, I don't know how strong it is. I mean, I don't think you can, it's not sending a lot of stuff back, but it is still sending data. Um, it's traveling 38,000 miles per hour. Like that's how fast it's zipping away from us. Dang. That's that's with respect to this. This is with respect to the sun. So how far it's how fast it's leaving compared to the sun, and like I'm watching the distance, and so like the the miles, just the hundreds of miles is like 
But faster than I can read it, 569, 578, 586, 595. Mm -hmm. That's how fast – I mean, that's how fast it's it's zipping away from us. And it's just awesome that this – I mean, it's just – just booking it, and they're they're still working. They 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 check, you know, they send signals back. Um, yeah, and they've been out there and flying away for forty two years. Wow. Voyager one um, left the solar system in August of twenty twelve, and Voyager two left in November of twenty eighteen. So they they are now both have left our solar system in interstellar space. Oh wow. Ruth, you got anything to add on that? I don't know, but I'm loving this large numbers with Jay. <laughs> yeah. It just, I don't know. I mean, how do you, I just think about that and then the awesomeness of God who created this universe and the solar system and the, yeah, it's just. Well, wow. we'll put the um, the Voyager mission <laughs> website up. On the show notes. Because I You can know, see how far it's I, traveled since we talked about I know some other it. people are going to be geeking out over this like I yeah, am. Right? Yeah, right. It's pretty cool. Awesome. Pretty cool. Thanks, Jay. Sure. (laughs) For today's episode of Large Numbers with Jay. Yep. (laughs) Um, Okay. Let's do a review with Ruth. (laughs) Ruth loves a good alliteration, so that probably just made her real happy. Um, That's one thing I know for sure about you, Ruth. I do. So... Um, that can I, I got oh, a diaper for something. Okay, we both have to oh, I got something. One more, th- one more <laughs> Me thing. Me too. Okay, you go first. So my son is getting married. Yes, and his name is Trace because he's the third, and he's marrying Annika. And this weekend we had a bridal shower, and I just had this revelation in the store that they could use the at symbol to sign whatever because it's just Annika and Trace. Cute. Did they think it was cute? Annika thought it was cute. I haven't told Trace. Oh, A and T. I love yeah, it. Yeah, so A T you can just write the at symbol and people would know that that was you. That's, so that's, that's cool. how I'm now saving stuff on my computer. Like this says at trivia, which uh-huh. is Annika and Trace trivia. Oh my word! I love it. Mine's not nearly that cute. <laughs> I, I I just um, did a big long run this weekend and my. You know, okay, so you can upload your runs on Strava and then people can be like, ooh, good run. Um, And I named it, um, it had all alliteration, perfectly placed porter potty (laughs) because (laughs) that's exactly what happened. It was like, I, like, what am I going to do? I'm in the middle of Richmond City. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then all of a sudden, oh, there's a porter potty. (laughs) So, yeah, that was my alliteration. Uh. That was really not as cool as yours. (laughs) You got something to add to us, JJ? I was wondering what the at symbol is called. Remember we talked is about this? Is it called this? the at symbol? Yes. Okay. It's just called at or the at symbol. That's so boring. Yeah. Well, we'll just call it the Inica trace symbol now. Because that's easier to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Ruth, you um, are given your exam this week, and it's cumulative, right? Correct. And we want to hear about your some of your review ideas because you're not the only person out there in the world think trying to be like, what am I going to do to review? Although right. when they get this, it'll be like... Probably past Christmas and <laughs> right. unfortunately too late. But Sorry, guys. you can you can come back to this. You can use this idea at the end of the year for May. Right. Yes. You can use it for a test. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay, go. Okay. So the first thing is I found at least 13, 14 years ago a teacher who created what she called a mystery. It's just the game of clue. Um and she spent so much time. It's called Math Mystery Detectives. I think originally it was Science Mystery. But Mr. Vanish is a victim of foul play and he's disappeared. So can you solve the mystery? These are your suspects. These are your weapons. And there is a PowerPoint slide that has 50 questions. And they're hyperlinked to a slide where you the question shows up. And then there is, at that question, the potential, it says, so sorry, or you got it correct. And... I have tweaked this over the years, but the way I play is that I put index cards um, with the six rooms and the six people and the six weapons face down on my board with magnets. I divide the class into two teams, and I explain there are two types of questions in this game. The first type of question is multiple choice. If it's multiple choice, then everyone – I use plickers. Everyone has to show their answer. Um, and more than half of your team has to get the answer correct with no help from their teammates in order for you to look at a clue. And the other type of question is short answer, which means that the person who chooses that question 
has to solve the problem independently at their table. And then they are allowed to say, this is what I got. Can someone confirm it? And if they got the wrong answer, you are not allowed to tell them what the answer is, but you can teach it loud enough for me to hear. You can remind them of something that we've done in class and then they have to solve it and get the answer. And if they're able to get it correct, then your team gets to look at a clue. And the students in their journal have um, the detective notes where it just has the list of people, places, and it just says yes or no. And every time I play this game, I am flabbergasted with kids who have never played clue. So it's not even that I'm using prior knowledge of them playing this game, but I have to teach the whole game and they just love it. And so at the end of class, whether you've got them all marked off or not, the person whose turn was next has to pick a person, place, and weapon, and we see how -hmm. close you get. Mm -hmm. Um, And if there's like that thing that that students come back and remember – I can't tell you how many kids have come back and been like, Missy, do you still play Clue? Because that was the funnest game. Hmm. Wow. So cool. There's a link to it and it's completely editable. Yeah. So you can make it work for whatever grade level it is. And you could make them all multiple choice. At one time I had like high tech remotes where the kids got to push A, B, C, D and it would show up on the screen. Yeah. But Plickers just seems to be a yeah. lot easier, which I'll also link to Plickers if you don't know what that is. But these are just cards that the students hold up and you scan it with your phone and it tells you how many they got yeah. correct. So Cool. So uh, mystery math is – Wait, can I say something? Yeah. Um, just that I have used this for sure. And I decided sometimes I worry a bit about the whole like somebody died in fourth grade, you know, like – like it being a, you know, a murder kind of mm-hmm. thing. So I rewrote it and did it load the completely zero tech version. Um, and my story, what we have, Chili is our dragon mascot. And we had the story was that Chili was stolen and we need to figure out what happened to him. And so um, my, instead of having person, place and thing, it was person. And so they were people from our, like adults in our school. The place was where he was hidden and the the last column instead of a weapon was when when it happened, like after lunch or on the way out the door, whatever. Oh, and you- they played it. They worked in partners and they would just raise their hand when they they were just working at their own pace and they would raise their hand when they let me back up. They had like a review to a practice test or whatever that they were okay. working through. And when they got a question right, they'd raise their hand. I'd come over to them. I'd check it. And if they were right, then they would get to go look at one of the clues and then go back to their seat. So there was no like – it wasn't like the teamwork like you were talking about. And that, that way they could move faster or slower and everybody was working within their partners. Um, and then at the end, once we figured out where Chili was, we actually like went and found him because it was like a little stuffed animal. And so we went and got it from the place. So there was no smart board activity. That makes more sense. Not that I'm not saying I'm not criticizing yours. I'm criticizing the game of Clue, because if you like it was hidden somewhere, where did it happen? But like in Clue, the Mister Body, which was the who you were trying to you know figure out who killed Mister Body, mm-hmm. it was like where did it happen? Well, where did you find him? Yeah. If he's dead, where was he when you got to him? Yeah. I'm guessing it was there. Yeah. So that's how I played it. Low, low, bu- low budget, low tech. Well, they could. I mean. They could change this font and totally still Mm -hmm. make that high tech. I actually keep it like this because I had a student three years ago who got really, really sick and was in the hospital for a long time. And I asked him if he would draw the suspects and his interpretation with just their names without having looking at them on here was so cool. He did it all anime. So... They have to like stay my characters, and then yeah. you know he drew the weapons with it too. So cool. I mean, I did have some students who were like, "Somebody died," and I'm like, "Well, look, it says Mr. Vanish disappeared." Mm-hmm. So we're just looking. Yeah, um, disappeared instead of yeah, died. That's what it says. Yeah. Um. So all right, good. Okay, next up is something that I learned not too long ago, and it's quizzes, which is Q U I Z Z I Z Z. Okay. And it is very similar to Kahoot, Mm -hmm. but I struggle with Kahoot in math class because if you are fast, 
you win Kahoot. Yeah. And when we're trying to show that everyone is good at math and speed doesn't matter, that works against you. Preach. Yeah. Yeah. So um, quizzes, I like it. It's got a couple different functions. It's got um, a homework option. So I can create like 38 questions, which is what I did. And the students can do it for homework. You can take however long you need to. There are little memes that enter that tell you if you're correct or incorrect. And then I can go back and I can look at the questions they spent the longest amount of time on. I can look at the ones they got wrong. There's a lot of teacher data that it sends to you when your students have finished their homework. Um, You can also play it as a tournament, but you are not looking at a board to see how fast the person beside you has done it and you're – you're also not able to look at the person's screen right beside you and click what they click hmm. because your questions are in a different order. Oh, okay. So in Kahoot, if you can position yourself beside someone who typically wins Kahoot, you can just see that they push red and you push red on yours and yeah. you're not really solving the problem. Right. So it's – and the other thing is I made a um, – exam review last night in less than 15 minutes because I just typed in dividing decimals, multiplying decimals, and I was able to transport other teachers' problems. I didn't have to use their whole thing. I could just pick the problems I liked. Whoa, cool. Yeah. It's called teleporting. So Hmm. I didn't have to create it from new, and I didn't have to go to someone's called exam and hope that they taught all the same things I taught. So I made mine called exam review. And then I searched the four or five things that I've taught this semester and pulled questions that wow. my students would be able to do. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. So. Okay. And it's free. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's paid portions to it, right? I haven't found any yet. Oh. But. Okay. Yeah. I will, am psyched it's that. It's Q-U-I-Z-I-Z-Z. Q-U-I-Z. Oh, yeah. I put too many Z's in yeah. there. Sorry. <laughs> um, can I talk about Quizlet? Yes. Please. So Quizlet is another, you know, one of those sites where you can practice things. And, and it, it works kind of like flashcards. So you're making yourself a set of flashcards um, for topics. And then you can – there's all different ways you can practice them um like you would with if you had a real set of flashcards and you can share sets back and forth but then the quizlet live i think is what's kind of fun so um let me go back and say you would want to make this there are there are a few things in math that you just have to memorize i'm thinking this would be great for like conversions of you know there are three feet in a yard there are Mm. 5280 feet in a mile that kind of stuff um and after you've done the conceptual learning then you just got to stink and memorize stuff, um, put those in there, let them practice it, and then Quizlet Live. Uh, it's, I think, pretty impossible to understand really how it works until you've watched somebody do it. I remember asking Van a hundred times, like, explain to me again, explain to me again. And, and finally, it was like, you just need to see it. Just so you, do it, Tracy. You turn it on, and on everybody's computer, it's going to tell you what team you're on. So then you like rearrange yourself to sit with your teammates and then you'll be in like, I guess it's maybe a group of two or three computers beside each other. And the question will show up on somebody's screen and the answers are spread out on all the on all the screens. Some but sometimes people have the right answer. Sometimes you don't have the answer at all on your screen. And and then as a team, you have to click the right one. But you have to look at everybody's screen to get it. and you're competing against the other teams. And I, there might be a way to turn off the time on that one, too. I'm not really sure. But I think that one does have a time part to it normally. So it does have a time. But the fact that there is more than one person on your team, mm-hmm. it can truly feel competitive. Yeah. And you can switch the teams up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, someone else will win. You get the more points if you answer it quicker? I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you done it? Have you done yeah. Quizlet Live? I've done yeah. Quizlet Live, and you do. And it, it doesn't feel as defeating as Kahoot. Kids don't give up in Quizlet Live. Because they're Sometimes team. kids give up in Mine Kahoot. Would. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, those are things to try. All right. You had something else you want to talk about review-wise? Want to talk about what you left for the sub? Oh, yeah. 
So the other thing I did, and I didn't just do it for the sub, but I also did it for parents, is our school, you have to give the students a study guide, and you have to provide the students with answers, and you have to collect the study guide and expect the answers to be correct. So I, I don't... If you've done your study guide at home, it's not a good use of my class time to go over the study guide because you have students who haven't done it and then you have students who have. And so yeah. what I've done is I my son got this really cool tripod for his iPhone and so I borrowed his tripod and um I used it to record myself just my hands doing each page of the study guide. So as I'm doing it, I'm teaching it each page of the study guide took me about six minutes. And then I uploaded them to YouTube, put it in a playlist, mm -hmm. and then sent the link through to the students so they could watch the whole thing. They could watch just one page. They could fast forward and see me do the problem that they were trying to get. And do I have kids who don't do the study guide and they just watch the video and write down the right answers? Yes. Yeah, probably. Do I know who they are? No, but I feel like it's just a really good resource for parents who want their kids to study and don't know what the answers are and don't or know don't how to know, do it. Or don't know how you've taught them to do it. Right. Too. So it's just another resource for them to have access to so that they don't have to do the whole arguing with their kid of, because like dividing decimals, I I just kept making the students say, you have to multiply the divisor by 10 because the decimal doesn't move. The decimal always stays between the ones place and the tenths place. Mm -hmm. And I had a parent who was like, Miss E, we are having a meltdown at our house because she's like, Mrs. E said I can't move the decimal and that's wrong. And so I was able to explain to the parent why I said that. And I said, one of the biggest mistakes I see when students are dividing decimals is that they can move the decimal in the divisor because they see it and they know it has to go to the end. Well, if your dividend is six, yeah. they're like, where's the decimal? How many times do I move it? Where it's do I six put space. it? Right? Yeah. yeah. So if we're just saying we're going to multiply it by 10, well, just multiply six by 10. Yeah. And now you've gotten the new dividend. And the parent on the other line was like, Wow, what's a dividend? Wow, that makes a lot of sense for yeah. the struggles that you've seen. Yeah. You know, sometimes when you teach 22 years, you know. <laughs> you know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, anyways, I was able to convince that parent why I teach that. Yeah. But for her to say, just move the decimal here and move the decimal here. And that kid is like, but Missy said you can't move the decimal. Not understanding why. Right. Right. So, anyways. Hey, I got a question real quick. I can't believe I'm going to ask a question about <laughs> dividing decimals. Um, so, do you move it so there's no decimal in either place, the dividend or the divisor? You divisor. Just, yeah, your divisor, just the divisor is divisor. So, the dividend can have a decimal. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if, you, if your dividend does have a decimal and you decide you want to move it, you've made your divisor bigger and you can still solve that problem. Right. But the whole point is – It doesn't damage the problem to do that. Right. Because you're just – yeah. But I just didn't. I just had the question. Yeah, good question. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll shorten this part. I just wanted to come back and say that last week we talked about a Cuisinier rod task for third grade with multiplication, and I shared it with them, and they were super excited about the idea. Yeah. I probably got like three times. Oh, I'm so excited! Can't wait to try it. The, have they tried it? Well, I, I think they both have, but only one teacher has given me any feedback. And her feedback was that the kids didn't run out of pieces like we thought they would. Oh, good. Which is, well, that's kind of like where the some of the high-level thinking they were anticipating was going to come. Well, it's still some pieces. <laughs> yeah, that's what I told her. I told her either make it race to 200 now <laughs> or um, use bigger. She ended up deciding to start with two six-sided dice, oh, yeah. but, you know, change it to one six-sided dice and one ten-sided dice. Or I told her, like, give them less pieces. So I'm, I'm anxious to hear what they said. Um, but one of the things that she was really excited about was that she used the letters to represent the colors, and they would write 
like um this was sort of back before they started i guess but she had them write lots of different ways to make 10 but use the code so she would do like oh um 10 equals um 2y or orange o equals 2y which is orange equals 2y and so then they wrote this whole long list and she even let them do like not equal groups so she could be like let me see if i can make this up in my head o equals r plus 2p for pink or purple and so then they got into a discussion of which ones of these were multiplication and which ones were not. And the next day they had to translate their code into an equation. And so that for that one, they were writing 10 equals 2 plus 2 times 4 for the pink. And and she was like, isn't this good? This is so cool. This is a, a first-year teacher did That's that. That's awesome. I was really proud of her. Um she was really excited about it. So I have, I'm anxious to hear from the other teacher what how the race to 100 went and whether or not she took the what we found out from the first one and made it some way that they're going to have to run or we want them to run out of pieces so they can be kind of creative on how they represent the amounts. So I have to um, reconcile with how clueless I am about gaming from okay. last week's show. Okay. Because I looked up that stupid 10 – Decided die. Yeah. And they all start with a zero. None of them go one to ten. <laughs> yeah. So I'm proud of you first for off, admitting you're pretty dumb. You're learning. But I get it. Yeah. I did find a dice with a ten on it and or die with a ten. I was like, look, Tracy, this one's got ten. Do which Tracy said, Well, that's a twelve sided die, Jay. <laughs> <sighs> you can't win. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so all of you out there that were yelling at me last week saying, No, 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 they're all zero through nine. I got you. I don't think it's smart. I don't like it, but I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Wait a minute. You're missing of small numbers with Jay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Anything else to add this morning? Anybody besides maybe takeaways? Are we ready for takeaways? I think so. I'm taking away big numbers with Jay. Yeah. And that, how cool that is to look at and talk about big numbers. Because we did that whole session of like, how many peas fit in a house. And then we did the penny project when we were like, how big is a million? Yeah. That's another really cool thing to just let the kids think about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, you could should check in with Nancy Estepa's um, project. Oh, yeah. She's still going strong on her awesome. million um, can tabs. Is that the right word? Yeah. 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 Every once in a while she posts another like, here's our update and our data and they're, they're, so cool. they're rolling. It's That's pretty awesome. cool. Do you have a takeaway, JJ? Yes. Okay. So we talked about how fast Voyager is traveling away from the Earth. Yeah. Well, the Earth actually travels faster around the sun than the Voy- than Voyager is traveling away from the sun. So there are times that the Earth catches up to Voyager and is actually getting closer to Voyager. Well. Because Voyager is traveling away from the sun. It's like it, you, that measures, measures distance away from the sun. But the Earth and its, you know, and in the speed re- relative to the Sun is moving faster. So there are times where we get closer to Voyager, and then and then as the arc changes in their orbit, Voyager then pulls away further. Wow, that that'll mess with your mind. Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that your mm, your quizzes. No, I'm going to make my fluency, my flu, like our conversation on our fluency assessment is my takeaway. And just to be, go slow on those first couple and really be careful of what I'm looking for and make, like, write as much down as I can for those first few until I make some decisions about what my strategy is going to be all the way across. And so who are you going to start with? Are you going to start with a student who... I'm going to start with the teacher's class who's further ahead because there's one teacher that's like two weeks ahead of the other two teachers because that's the teacher that I implemented it first with and planned this project with. Um, I don't know. I'm probably going to be kind of random about who I start with because just based on I'm going to get there as early in the morning as I can and just whoever's there not eating breakfast. So, (laughs) no, I don't have a plan there. (laughs) Okay. But I'm just going to write down as much as I can and and – I think I'm going to go back to use those four codes 
that at first I didn't use just for simplicity's sake because I wasn't seeing any of that. Mm-hmm. Like there was there was none of that happening. And I, yeah, I think you're you need that fourth code now because you're going to have yeah more levels than you did in the right. beginning. Right. Okay. Y'all, I enjoy this every Monday morning. Yep. Every Monday we're like, do we have enough to talk about? And then, of course, we do. And then an hour later, we're like, here we are. All right, we got to wrap it up. Yeah, wrap it up. (laughs) I haven't had a shower yet this morning. (laughs) If you could see my hair. (laughs) All right. It's been real. I'll see you tomorrow on a run. All right. 